Thanks, John and Mary Lou. Um, looking uh, between services, looking at all of our kids, I think I dropped the ball again this week, uh, not having a children's message for them, but I'm thankful for all of our Sunday school teachers that spend time teaching them. And I hope that you're taking extra or making extra effort to to help them grow in the Lord. One of the things as as we try to minister to to those that don't go to church uh, um, is just um, you know struggling through what they're going to grasp in the short time that we have with them. And so I hope and pray that we as parents have the opportunity to live out the gospel message. Um, and, and to take time with them and help them to understand the Word of God every day. And one thing that I think many of the homeschoolers are blessed with is that extra time um, to do that. But it shouldn't be something we neglect whether we think we have time or not. I know many of you are busy, and so I was feeling convicted after thinking about that Wednesday. Wednesday was a little tough with good news, so uh, some of you might just continue to pray for us. We don't have good news this week or, or the other Bible studies. I don't think, I don't know about Ground Zero, but uh, there was some stuff going on. I don't think we do, but I don't know. Uh, there, <laughs> anyway, um, you know, we need prayer. And I, I really want us to be involved in some way to reach the, the kids, not only in our homes, but in our community. And so I just am asking you to pray about how we can do that. And we've done that in the summers and with good news and other things. We've really tried uh, to reach the, the children of our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There we go. All right. I didn't realize it wasn't on. I guess I uh, have a lot more hot air and louder voice than I thought I did. But anyway, um, yeah, you can laugh at that. I was going to try to find a joke. Dandy and I went to... Uh, uh, Taylor Mason, is that his name? Last night, he does a ventriloquist dummy. And a lot of good jokes, but uh, I have already forgotten them all, so I can't share them with you this morning. Um, but just, I, I just want to ask you to pray uh, that we can reach not only our own kids, but the kids in our community with the gospel. And um, uh, by community, I know we're not just Arnold community, we're Callaway and Gothenburg as well, and so... Just pray about opportunities, and sometimes it's when we, we invest in the lives of our own kids, they're able to reach those other kids with just morsels of truth and how they, they think, how they speak, and how they uh, you know, live. Um, Dandy shared a little video or a little sound clip of the, you probably have heard it about the young boy that had to put his calf down and the lesson that he learned, and he's talking on the radio. Just There's just opportunities that it's just crazy how some of our youngsters can really grasp great truths uh, and share that with others. So we want to pray that as well, but um, let's make it a priority. And so I was feeling convicted a little bit too. Uh, it's important for our kids to grow up to know, love, and serve Jesus. And, and um, we want the next generation, we want our generations to live for Christ. There's, not, there's no, nothing else worth it, right? Nothing else worth our time if it's not first putting Jesus Christ as our Lord. Um, and so I just want to challenge you, please, please pray 
and um, we can move forward together. Let's pray, all right? Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we thank you for another opportunity where we can study your word, and we ask, Lord, that you would guide us not only in understanding it, but how to apply it. Lord, we ask for your uh, not only your conviction, but your leading, uh, um, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate what it is we are to know and how we are to, to live it out. And Lord, most specifically, as we look at the Gospel of John, um, we find that there's a strong emphasis of true belief, of truly believing and walking with Jesus. And so please help us to be followers of you, Lord Jesus, who, who rest in you and have an intimate relationship with you, which will guide us in everything in this life. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. We thank you for your word. Help us to be people of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So it has been colder uh, this week, right? Everybody enjoyed the cold, we- cold weather this past week? You're saying, wait a second, I'm just going to think back to yesterday and today. It's a lot nicer, 40s, 50s. Uh, but with the colder weather, it makes me a little excited because I do like to do a little bit of ice fishing. I like it nice, but I also like the ice to be thick enough to hold up my heavy frame. Okay, And so with this colder weather, I've been starting to think about, oh, we should get out there on the ice before it starts to, to melt off. But we want to, again, have it thick enough. Right? Some of my daughters don't really care to go ice fishing. You know why? No matter, well, it's cold, yeah. No matter how thick it is, when that ice starts to rumble and crack, they don't like that. They don't trust it. How many of you would trust being out on a lake? Anybody? No? Yeah? Well, Keith's from North Dakota, so he's, yeah, of course. Um, Anyway, there's a since COVID happened, there's uh, that little uh, piece of land on northern Minnesota that they can't get to uh, because of the lockdowns. And so last winter and this winter, they've opened up an ice road uh, from a portion of Minnesota over to that tip across, uh, I'm getting off of my notes here a little bit, but uh, what is the lake called? Oh, yeah. Lake of the Woods, and it's about 31 miles across, or 37 miles mile ice highway. And the, the kicker here is the toll. It's a $250 toll to drive across this 37 mile stretch of ice highway. I'm like, man, that's outrageous. Well, it costs them about $1,500 a year per mile to, to create or to plow and maintain this ice road. So they need the money. And you're saying, wait a second. I don't know if I'd even walk on the ice, let alone drive a rig across the ice. But not only do they venture out on the ice, they pay good money for it. How many of you would do that? No. I'm not going to pay to die. But the Gospel of John reveals to us that the the high price God paid for us to have real life. I'm not saying you don't have real life unless you go out on the ice. I'm saying we can trust more than some of these people are trusted in ice. We can trust the Lord Jesus because he paid the high price for us. 
And so the question for today, are you fully trusting in Jesus and venturing out in this crazy and dangerous life based upon that faith? I hope so. I hope you're fully trusting in Him. We're going to be in this crazy and dangerous life one way or another, and the safest way is to fully trust in Lord Jesus Christ. So today we're going to note three truths about Jesus that reinforce why we should follow Him for direction for all of our life's decision. And so today I want to challenge you that You know, first, we've talked about how the follower of Jesus has the answer for everything for life. Today, I want to challenge you that the follower of Jesus has direction. It's about the same thing, right? Direction for all of life's decisions. And if you're not following Jesus, then you're not going to have the right answers. You may come up with some of the right decisions, but you're not going to have all the right answers. First note. Here in this passage, we're going to be in John chapter 2, and I want you to first see, or first note, that the simple power of Jesus is worth our trust. That is, when we look at Jesus and that He is omnipotent, yes, He is omnipotent, we can therefore trust in Him. In John 2, 1 through 11, it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. It's a lot of water or wine. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. Now let's just stop for a second. What we find here is there's a, there's a simple problem. Right? I mean, it's, it's might be something some of us, ah, uh, whatever. This does not matter. And I, I bet you've probably studied this passage before. There's a lot more that we could go into. When we look at here, we could see just the simple faith of Mary. She knows what Jesus is capable of, or she thinks she does here in this passage. It does not point to that we have to go through Mary for anything, but it points to the fact that she had faith and so she asks him a simple question or tells him some, a simple truth, they have no wine. And then she goes and tells the servants, hey, do whatever he says. And she must have said it in such a way that they filled those pots to the brim. Reminds you of the passage in the Old Testament, right? The pot of oil that continued to fill up. But here's a simple problem. And we might think it doesn't matter, but you know it's a very serious problem for the host and for their reputation. And Jesus could have powerfully solved it. His initial response causes a discussion for some, but we're not really going to focus on it because I think the importance for us to see here is that he is always about the Father's will. 
And the Father's will, and, and the reason that John was inspired by God to write this is because what we find here in the last verse. Let me read on from verse 9. Well, I forget where I stopped. 7, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs... This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cain of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. The whole point is that people would come to believe in Jesus Christ. And his disciples saw this very simple but powerful miracle. And so there's this simple solution. They obeyed and they filled it to a brim and then we have this miraculous, miraculous miracle. It wasn't just regular wine. It was better than anything he'd ever tasted. But as a simple solution for Jesus, it was nothing. I don't think it was. Jesus could have done so much more. But it, in this simplicity of this miracle, caused the disciples to begin to believe in Him. And so the challenge for us is, you know, even in the simple problems, understand that God has a perfect plan. And we need to simply trust in Him. And so here, when, again in verse 11, let's simply trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice these other passages because John, again, has this major theme. Right? And it started back in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. It says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Without Jesus and this simple problem, nothing could have been done. It is what it is. But with Jesus, and for His glory, for those to believe in Him, it became a, a, a great miracle. So that, and throughout John, everything done is so that, and everything written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit was written so that people would believe in Jesus. John 5.24 states, uh, actually I have 3.18, yep, John 3.18, He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
We find also in John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. He's talking about a true belief in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And last week and the week before, we talked about the name of Jesus. What does that mean? The person and work of Jesus Christ. And in no one else, as we, we try to memorize this verse, the verses of John 14, 1 through 6, maybe you already have them memorized. It's a wonderful promise, but it's also the truth about who Jesus is. He is the only way. Only Jesus. No one else. Only Jesus. And so we pray only to God the Father through the Son. We pray only to Jesus and the Father. No one else. There, are, there is no need for any other, any other mediator other than the Lord Jesus Christ. John 20, 29 through 31. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that, that believing you may have life in His name. So when we first look at this passage, I just—if you're—you know—we could dig into it deeper, right? But I simply want you to understand that the power of Jesus should draw us into simply trusting Him. We should trust in Jesus' powerful ability, even in something as simple as this. This means trusting his timing and results. Now here, yeah, they got everything they ever wanted and more. Remember the key. It's always for his glory. Not for our well-being. Not, not even for you know, someone else's benefit but for His glory, that they may and we may trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have to trust in His timing and His results. You know, if we're willing to do that, then we are able to, as His followers, um, allow Him to guide us in all of our decisions of life. Second, let's note here in this passage from 12 through 22 that Jesus has authority. It says in verse 12, after this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And 
To those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. We first find here in this passage that Jesus has, uh, well, we could say he has righteous zeal, but also we can say that Jesus took care of business, right? He drove the businesses out. In verse 12 through 16, he, he literally took care of business. And, and in verse 17, it says the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And so John's looking back at this through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and it is God's very word. There are no mistakes. I would say there's, there was more than one time that Jesus drove them out of the temple and overturned the tables because of the zeal that he had for the Lord's house, his Father's house. And so he quotes here Psalm 69.9 pointing to this very zealous right that Jesus had. Now, if it wasn't his Father's, if he wasn't God the Son, we could say, It possibly could have been sin, but he did not sin as he did this. It was righteous zeal. So if I were to go to somebody else's house or garage, maybe, I don't know, and even just start to clean it up a little bit, you know, that's probably not right to do, the right thing to do. I'm going to put your tools in the wrong place, I'm pretty sure of it. But if I go in and clean up my own garage, that's good and that's right. Jesus cleaning up his temple is good and is right. And what it did was it pointed out that he has authority. He has the right to do it. It confronted, Jesus confronted sin. He confronted sin And it pointed to all the people. And we'll see. Look at verse 18. It pointed out his authority. The Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us? Uh, What sign do do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Jesus said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? Man, what's this guy talking about, right? Verse 21, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. So looking back, they're like, whoa, you remember that time when Jesus did, whoa. And he said, yeah, wow. And so Jesus, they're asking, okay, so by what sign of authority? You know, we don't, you can't let just some guy come off, even if he's got a following, he's a rabbi, and he comes in here and he drives out all the businesses from the temple, even if it is kind of wrong and, well, we don't, whatever, we'd rather have him here. Does he have this authority? And so they ask him and he says, hey, I'm God the Son, and you'll see. Basically, this is what he says, but he does it with, a promise of fulfilling prophecy 
and a warning to them to realize you need to turn to me now. He has powerful authority. And they should learn as they begin to see His ministry unfold that we should believe in Him and accept this authority. Jesus fulfilled His promise, didn't He? And we can look back just as John is writing this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit looking back saying, yeah, Jesus has the authority and yeah, we are following Him now. What a great encouragement for all believers as we all look back to the very first ones that read this this letter or this passage, this gospel that is. Probably more of a message, a sermonette. As they read this, as they learn from it, an encouragement, just as it should be for us, that we can completely trust the Lord Jesus Christ and we should obey His commands because He has all authority. And so if you're someone that says, yeah, I believe in Jesus, well, do you obey Him? Do you? Said, yeah, yeah, I obey him. I'm a follower. Are you following him? And not only is this a challenge to be convicted in the areas that we may fail and may not be giving over to the Lord, but it is an encouragement for us. Let's move on. Let's press on. Let's live for the Lord no matter what's going on around us in this world. No matter even if we have failed in the past, Jesus has power and authority and that authority and power includes my forgiveness and my new life in Him and that He will never leave me nor forsake me. But here we find, this is a word of caution. It reminds me of a a word of caution, you know, when I was younger, maybe even today, uh, when I'm roughhousing around, you probably don't believe that happens anymore, but, you know, you'd hear this word of caution. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. My grandma would often resort to that after she said, stop wrestling around in the house. And if we didn't listen to that, usually the fly swatter came out. But anyway... It was a word of caution, and here is a word of caution for all of us. Again, I just want to encourage you to understand that yes, we should believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we need to understand He has authority and we should obey all that He says. And we should be very thankful for His love and His grace as we fully embrace His authority. Because the follower of Jesus has direction for all of life's decisions if we do truly follow Him. Third, note here in 23 through 25, um, the wise knowledge of Jesus. In 23 it says, Now when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in His name observing His signs which He was doing. But Jesus on His part was not entrusting Himself to them, for He knew all men. And because He did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for He Himself knew what was in man. What we find here 
And there's many truths that we should bring out uh, in, this, in this passage. And, and one is that when we look at the power of God, omnipotence of Christ, He is all-powerful, right? He's all-powerful, therefore He has authority. But not only that, but He's omniscient. That means all-knowing. And we would go to Philippians chapter 2. We, we need to understand that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Not diminished in either. Yet, while he was on, his, on earth, there's, there's times that we see that even though he did not lose any godly attributes, he chose not to use them and chose to be and remain in a situation or difficulty. We're saying, well, what? What's going on here? But Jesus knew, and we look at this passage, another reality of the truth of his omniscience or his all-knowing is that he really did know and does know the heart of all people. He knows. And so when we look at this passage, we need to understand, do we not think that Jesus and the Father do we not think that they know everything that we think, everything we feel? And so the challenge for us is do not think God is blind to your heart. Right? Do not think that God is blind to your heart. He's more aware of your weaknesses and your failures and your diff- where you are prone to, to falter better than you. If we begin to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, then we're very, very blind to our weaknesses. You know, and I'm there. A lot of times I begin to think, oh, I'm doing pretty good, and then I fall flat on my face and when I'm addressing or dealing with something. But that's a comfort, but it's also conviction. He knows. You can't hide it from him. So do not think God is blind to your heart. And do not think you can hide your sin from Him. And do not think you are better than you are. We also find not only does Jesus know the heart of people, Jesus knew what would happen. And John speaks um, here of a faith. Right? So, So in verse... Verse 22, they believed, right? Disciples remembered that he said this and they believed. Now they're looking back, I think, but when we go up, the disciples believed. As we go through the Gospel of John, there's a focus on belief and who believed. There's a belief in the Lord Jesus, kind of a a light belief, and yet they're not quite following him. Then there's an unbelief that we see, especially among the religious leaders. And then we come back and we see a violent unbelief. And then we see a full-fledged belief of the disciples. And here we're looking back and the disciples were believing. But Jesus, in verse 23, there were many who, who believed in His name, right? Observing His signs. What kind of faith was it? Was it a full-fledged, heartfelt belief? And how many, as we remember when Jesus came in on Palm Sunday, His triumphal entry, how many were uh, excited and celebrating that at the end of the week were the same ones possibly yelling, crucify Him? But then we see the true full-fledged belief of the disciples. 
And so where do you stand? Do you have a weak, small, little faith saying, oh yeah, I, I think that's who he is and I agree? Or have you truly turned to him for the forgiveness of your sins, seeking to fully follow him all the days of your life? Where do you stand? I would hope to say we all stand together fully desiring to follow Jesus. We all fail, don't we, at times? That doesn't change what we think of Him. Do not let it beat you down. Take the full weight of Scripture and understand that even though we are born again, and even though we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we have a long life to live on this earth where the Lord God is still perfecting us. Which means you are not perfect yet. But we are still His, and He's still working in us and through us. And so continue to follow Him. Get back up and follow Him. And so when we look at this passage, we find in, the, in this, the Gospel of John that there is unbelief and there is violent unbelief, but yet there's true belief. And when we look at John 14, 1 through 6, we find that Thomas is one of them that speaks. And then that other passage that I quoted to you at the end of the Gospel of John, when we look at that passage, we find that in John 20, 29 through 31, there's a statement that, yeah, there's a lot more that I could write about, that there's not enough paper in the world to fill uh, that that would be able to contain the words that point to the reality of what Jesus did to point out that He is God the Son, that He is the Messiah. And yet we find in that passage as well, this is a response to the disciples. And again, a response to Thomas, who is also sometimes called Doubting Thomas, but he may have had one of the greatest faiths after seeing the risen Savior. He asked good questions. So if you're struggling, I want to challenge you, ask Jesus good questions and your faith will grow and seek to find those answers in the word. And I pray that we, we as a church here together can encourage each other to find the right answers, but do not turn away in unbelief. Because the word of God here speaks about a, a set, true saving belief in Jesus and this faith radically leads his followers in life. And so the question again is, where do you stand? The Gospel of John is about true and real faith in Jesus, which, which means it leads us to do all we do so that we are following Him, even if it seems like it, it's, it's a high price to pay. I'm not sure why those folks pay a big toll I'm not that avid of a fisherman. There's resorts on the other side. Maybe they're pretty nice resorts. What price are we willing to pay to follow Jesus? Are we trusting in Jesus' powerful ability? Right? Look again, the simple power of Jesus. He has the ability. Do we trust in His timing and in His results? Do we obey His authority? Do we understand that Jesus and the Father are not caught off guard? Remember as we were going through John 1, 1? 
Remember that? Statement, Jesus is involved in creation. Jesus and the Father, according to that passage, the first chapter of John, did not leave anything to chance in the creation of this world and this universe and all life. And He is not leaving anything in your life to chance. And it may seem futile, very frustrating, heart-wrenching, heartbreaking, But he has a plan and a purpose. Remember Romans chapter 8. The full passage, not just a couple of verses. I just want to challenge you that we, we should understand that he is not caught off guard, nor is anything left a chance. And therefore, we should follow him in all of life. With all of our decisions, seek to do his will. If you don't do that, if you don't follow Him and seek to do His will in all of life's decisions, you're going to be on thin ice. Not knowing where the next step will lead. And a lot of us say, well, yeah, I don't know where this next step leads anyway. Well, we know it leads to His glory. And it leads to a wonderful reward in heaven if we're following Him in those steps. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could come before you and, and worship you together today. We thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that no matter how many times we go over a, a portion of scripture, that there is great um, well sustenance for our souls. So I pray, Lord, that as we leave here, that each one of us would have uh, a stronger desire to walk with you, um, that each one of us would be encouraged to, to continue to follow you, and that whatever comes our way this week, that we would seek to, to glorify you and to do what you want us to do in it. I ask your blessing upon each one so that they may um, be a blessing and point all people that they come in contact with this week to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we'll take up offering. Can we have some young...